Hi, I'm Tiki Barber, co-founder of Thusio. Thanks for listening to the Thusio Live and Unfiltered podcast. We're bringing our past events back to life for you to enjoy. Ryan Serhant is the founder and CEO of Serhant, one of the most well-known real estate brokers in New York City and the country. He stars on Bravo's Million Dollar Listing New York, and his company has become the most followed real estate brand in the world. His new book, Big Money Energy, dives into Serhant's mindset in growing his brand and the energy necessary to attain success. Serhant joined Thusio at a recent event to discuss his career, his new book, and the future of real estate. Enjoy the interview. Welcome to Thusio and our fireside chat with billion dollar broker and co-star of Million Dollar Listing New York. He's the author of the book that you just saw him holding, Big Money Energy. Ryan Sir Ant joins us here. Just as a, a reiteration of the instructions, ask us some questions. We'll get to them later. They should be just to the right of your screen under the Q&A section. If you would like to come on live and ask Ryan a question directly, put live at the beginning of your question. Otherwise, I will answer it uh, or I will ask it myself and Ryan will answer. Um, but we're looking forward to this. I also want to thank Insperity for being with us for so long as our sponsor, uh, doing so many events with us, both in the live uh, arena that we used to do and we eventually will do again and this virtual realm that we find ourselves in over the last year or so. Um, without further ado, let me introduce Ryan. Sir, Aunt. Ryan, thanks for joining me. How you doing? Good, man. Better now that I'm talking to you. I know. This is going to be fun. I think we backstage, we were talking about the similarities between us. And it wasn't that I can broker real estate, which I cannot do. I mean, it, it was that, that I can I can, I can, can run with a football. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well. Exactly. Just with yeah. nobody around, though. <laughs> it is, it's, yeah, it's, up it's, the streets. <laughs> up the streets, the Broadway, during quarantine, no one's there. No one can stop me, man. No one will even I, touch me now. That's right, because right, nobody's there. And you, and you have the guy like me with my fullback shoveling the path in front of you. But really, it's acting. I love acting. You love acting, as evidenced by that show that we just saw before you came in. I yeah. mean, let me start with this, Ryan. I mean, acting is its one of the great skills that anyone can, can possess, regardless of what you do for a living. And reading your book, which I started to read, uh, there are some great anecdotes about your acting ability. Tell us, tell me about your acting slash failed acting career before we get into what you really are known for now. Oh, God. Yeah, so, <laughs> I, like I was telling you a little before, I, um, you know, growing up, my parents made me play every sport and they made me take every class. Uh, they really wanted me to grow up well-rounded, even if I absolutely hated everything. I had to play you know, baseball, football, soccer, uh, lacrosse, badminton, tennis, competitive swimming, like everything. And I, and I had to do it for one season. I wasn't allowed to quit. That was oh, the rule. Wow. Um, and even when I went to college, I had to do I had to stay well-rounded. They only wanted me to do like one play a year, but theater was what I was, I, I was attracted to. Um, I think because it allowed me to be someone that wasn't myself. And, you know, when you're growing up, uh, uh, you know, in school and all the cool kids are good at some sort of sport and you're not, and you're a little overweight and super shy and insecure and, um, uh, you know, very, very much introverted. And, you know, I had a handful of friends. We also moved around eight times before I hit fourth grade. You know, the theater was the place that took me in, right? Because it's kind of when you're in school, it's like where the outcasts kind of go. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and you get to put on wigs and makeup and different <laughs> outfits, and you can be an 80-year-old man and bounce around. But I really took to it, and I liked it. And it was the one thing that I was, I was, I was good at. Uh, and then when I went to school, to college in upstate New York, um, I majored in theater, and my parents made me have a real major, real, quote-unquote, so it was an <laughs> English major if I was going to go to college. Um, uh, but, you know, it's the study of, of theater is the study, really, of being human. Mm. Like, what does it mean to be a full person? Like, you take classes that are just about breathing. Like how yeah. to breathe with your diaphragm instead of breathing with your neck and your chest, right? How to be seen, heard, and remembered. Like that's a big part about big money energy. That's a big part of, of, of sales and kind of any business and any successful person is, you know, how, how do you walk into a room with presence and how do you articulate your thoughts so that people can remember you? Yeah. Um, uh, and how do you listen to people to respond instead of listening to them? just to reply, like most people do. Yeah. Right? We all know those people, the people who say, hey, how was your weekend? And you tell them, like, oh, well, my weekend. Right? That's not how you sell, and that's not, also not how you act. So I, uh, uh, I, when I graduated college, you know, I've always had this quote in my head that's, I'd rather regret the things I did than the things I never tried. Um, and I just told myself, listen, I gotta go at least try this in New York. I gotta try theater. I gotta try to see if I can make it. Uh, you know, to see if I can afford to live there. See if I can get paid as an actor um, and see if it works. And I ran out of money about two years after that, and had to get a real job. And that job was was uh, was renting apartments. <laughs> and and renting apartments is obviously it's necessary, especially in New York, because everyone that was following what you were doing, meaning coming into New York and trying yeah. to find a place to live and to establish themselves, just really just get a home base. They're dependent upon you. Um, but let me let me let me you know fast forward quickly to your first um, break. And in reading the book, uh, Big Money Energy, uh, that everyone should have or you should go read because it's really entertaining. It's not just a this is what you need to do. It's really entertaining detailing your existence. Your first break came kind of out of the blue uh, with a Chinese uh, female woman, June, who was pregnant. And I mean, it yeah. feels it feels storybook ish. Uh, yeah. But tell us about getting that break and how you were prepared for it, because I think in any business, really any opportunity, whether it's sports or, or, or otherwise, you've got to be prepared for your opportunity. Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, I, I, I um, uh, one of my first clients um, was a woman who reached out to me um, uh, from China, right? She was found me on the internet randomly and she was looking for an apartment in New York City uh, that she wanted to buy as an investment for her daughter uh, who was not born yet, <laughs> as you do. And so she wanted to come over and she had a budget of one to $3 million. And now, wretched, this was the beginning of my career. Um, I've been doing it for like a year. I'd sold an apartment for like 390,000 uh, in the financial district that I had to paint to get it sold. Uh, and most of my other business was just rentals because I hadn't yet fully committed to being a real estate agent. Being a realtor to me still felt like a cop out, like something that you do as a second career, you know, the, the moms in, mm -hmm. in New Jersey, right? Like that's what a real estate agent is. Uh, and there weren't a lot of young people graduating school or coming to New York and saying, you know what I want to be? I want to be a licensed associate real estate agent. <laughs> it just wasn't like, it wasn't a thing. Um, and so I was still trying to act. I was hand modeling to pay the bills. I made more money holding phones for AT&T 
my first year in the business, uh, having people take photos of my hands than I did actually renting apartments. But anyway, so she reached out to me and um, uh, I had this moment where typically in a situation like that, where you have somebody much, much higher than you, right? Or an opportunity much, much bigger than anything you've ever handled before. You say to yourself, okay, I need help. Right? I need help. I got to bring in my manager. I got to bring in somebody else. I need help to do this. I don't know what she, I've never dealt with a foreign national property investor and the millions of dollars. Like I'm not going to be able to do this, but a light bulb went off in my head because I'd been really, really down on myself because I'd been losing deals left and right. And I was, I kept running out of money and I was like, I gotta, I'm going to move home or I got to figure something out. And I'd seen all these other brokers who were really successful, who were closing deals left and right. You know, and I would look at them and I would say, why not me? Like, if they can do it, why can't I do it? What, what, what do they have that I don't other than experience, right? They've been doing it yeah. for a long time. Uh, sure, maybe they're from New York. Sure, maybe they have connections and a network and that's fine. I, I can create that. Um, but what do they really have that I can get right now? that makes them successful and makes me not successful. Um, and that is a unshakable confidence in their own abilities. Uh, and so that light bulb for me was, you know what? I'm going to say yes to June Shen. I'm going to say I can absolutely help her. Yes. No. Well, what are you looking for? Absolutely. Okay. Um, and I'm going to memorize as much information as I can, because that's what I learned to do as an actor for 20 years <laughs> yeah. school and growing up. Uh, and I'm going to be as prepared as possible for when she shows up. So that way, as a defense mechanism, really, she never asks me how old I am. She never asks me how long I've been doing this, what I've sold. If I know more than anyone else, mm -hmm. I can just talk about the facts in that building, this building, this building, this building, this building, which is all public information. I just have to memorize it. That'll instill confidence in myself. So I'll feel more prepared. And that confidence will then turn into the perception that I give out to the world. And that perception will turn into uh, my reputation, which would be, hey, he knows what he's talking about, young, but knows what he's talking about. And that will then turn into my brand. And then that's what I'll sell. Um, and before she got there, before she flew into New York, uh, we'd gone back and forth by email as to where she wanted to be, what properties, you know, where, where her unborn child would want to live. Um, and we kind of narrowed it down to Midtown and the west side of Manhattan. And we, uh, and so the couple of days before she showed up, I went and walked that tour nonstop. Gotcha. I just memorized it all. I went into every coffee shop and restaurant back when you were allowed to do that um, and introduced myself to the baristas just so that in the off chance that she got thirsty or hungry and we pulled over, I could walk in with her and say, hey, Bob, hey, as if I'd been there a thousand times. Um, uh, uh, but I didn't tell her. I hadn't been there a thousand times. I just didn't want to even bring up that question. So I was presenting myself not as someone I wasn't, but as someone I wasn't yet. Yeah. So I created, kind of out of thin air, the real estate agent, the broker that I wanted to be desperately in two to five years. Yeah. I wanted to have that confidence now so I could try to get this deal done. And a couple of days later, it was 3 a.m. at the St. Regis Hotel. I brought her curly fries and a hamburger because that's what she wanted. She was super jet lagged and pregnant and she wanted American food. Um, and we did that deal for $2.1 million. And I winged it the entire way. But my life changed at that moment because I realized when I got that commission check a couple months later, 
It was the biggest check I'd ever had. It was $24,000 and change. Deposited it right into the ATM um, at Chase Bank in Tribeca. I remember it clearly as if it was yesterday. It's like, I, I can do this. I can meet random people. I can be confident in myself. And I can show them homes and I can work with them and convince them to buy things that they would otherwise buy anyway, except now they're going to buy them with me. And that, then things were history from there. Yeah. And the, and the beauty of, of that story is that like confidence is, you almost have to earn it yourself. I know because when you see someone who's very assured of themselves, of, of themselves, whether it's a broker or, or otherwise, you can feel it, right? You feel it when they walk into the room and you don't know you have it until you actually have it. And so the question that I ask is, was there ever doubt? Like, was there doubt in your path towards success? As you're thinking of these things, they're happening to you in real time. Are you saying, man, if I, if I fail here, uh, my career is over. How do you overcome that? Because it's, it's inevitable, correct? Uh, yeah, no, for sure. I think I doubted myself at least 15 times a day, uh, <laughs> if not more. I remember standing on the street of Soho, um, calling my mom, telling her, like, this sucks. I hate this business because the sales business can be incredibly difficult. Um, one, there's no salary. There are no mm -hmm. benefits. You're not paid hourly. You eat what you kill. If you sell or rent something, you make money. The benefit is that no one will ever tell you you sold too much, mm. right? You have limitless possibilities, but people yeah. are also going to lie to your face. People don't like confrontation. You think you're, you you're going to get a deal done and then you absolutely do not. And the people ghost you and they go with somebody else. Um, but you know, I, I was very, very focused on tomorrow, always. Tomorrow is always another day, another day where another call could come in, right? Another email. I can meet someone else totally random on the street that could completely change the trajectory of my career. And over the last now 12 to 13 years, I've seen that play out time and time again. My best deals, my greatest success, I haven't even done yet. Mm -hmm. And I don't even know what they are. Yeah. Like the deals I've done in the last 60 days have changed my life. I didn't even know that they were going to exist four months ago when I started my own company in New York City in the middle of a pandemic. Like if you had told me that I would have been doing them, I would have said, what, really? That's going to be awesome. But are you sure? No way. Um, but you've got to uh, have that game face, right? I think a big part of, of creating that confidence, you know, and I remember watching you play, right? And I remember, um, a big part of your talent wasn't just speed, but it was speed plus attitude, mm -hmm. right? It was, what is that attitude? Um, uh, you know, the minute you walk out onto the field and that attitude uh, and that confidence in yourself puts self-doubt into your opposing players because they're saying to themselves, oh, shit, he, he thinks he's really great. <laughs> he, he probably is really great. Can I actually stop? God damn it. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. People start to, to second guess themselves. Um, uh, and that's what you end up doing in negotiations, right? When I go up against other agents. But, you know, that, that, that feeling of failure and doubt uh, creeps up all the time. Um, uh, but I also, you know, when I first got into the business and I was really, really stressed out, uh, my sister kind of sent me this quote where she said, um, uh, what would you attempt to do if you knew you couldn't fail? Hmm. Right. If you knew, if someone gave you a crystal ball and they said, hey, by the way, this thing you're doing right now, you're not going to fail. Like you, you, if that was guaranteed to you, 
you'd, you'd, you'd step in front of a bus. You know what I mean? Like you would do anything because all of a sudden the future has just been told there's no risk. There's no fear. I'm going to do whatever. Yeah, I'm going to go talk to that guy in the street because I just was told I can't fail. So then you work your ass off and you're too busy to fail. And then, like I said, tomorrow is just another day to turn it all around. Yeah. Um, and I'm excited by that. You know, I'm, I'm excited consistently by the future and what opportunities lie ahead that we haven't even experienced yet. Yeah. And you said something earlier, which, which rings home to me because I knew that I could be successful on a field because I was prepared. Right. I, yeah. I studied. I, I, I made my body strong as possible. I got as healthy as I, as I could. I knew my opponent uh, and I knew that I was going to be successful. And even if I wasn't going to ultimately be successful, I, at least I thought I was. So in my mind, I was charging forward, even if failure was right around the corner, which, yeah. which leads you to a, like a personal question about the real estate world that I don't know. Um, and I think I, I, I know that I, I know that it's this way, but I don't know. <laughs> so do you all meaning you and your peers, I guess I could call them competitors, like how vicious is this world, right? How, um, I, that's my listing, don't you dare think about stealing, otherwise we're gonna have some pro, like how vicious is the, is the real estate world, especially once you start moving up to the high end, like you, have, like you are right now? Yeah, it is um, uh, politely, vicious i will say <laughs> you know uh in other markets a little bit in florida you know california um people can get uh, pretty pretty spiteful and they can mm -hmm. get pretty angry you know new york is incredibly competitive um and people can get very 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 spiteful but at the same time uh there is a significant amount of business to be done here and the business is very large and so people tend to keep their composure um, as much as they can. I also say though, at the beginning of my career in 2008 to 2000, I don't know, 14, it, it was insanely competitive and catty and there were fights and, you know, people going after each other and you take my listing, I'm taking your team members, all that stuff. And then something happened 2015 ish. Uh, I don't know what it was. And definitely over the last couple of years, everyone's got a lot more sensitive. Um, you know, if people are coming after my business, they call me and give me a heads up first. Very, very odd. It's very strange. The world's in a very, very funky place right now in the moment, but it, I, I appreciate it. Um, but listen, we're all going after the same exact business. Yes. Like I don't what you know, even pre COVID when I would go hang out with friends, I would not hang out with other residential brokers. Like, I don't want to know what deals they're doing. It's just going to piss me off. Right. Like I don't they don't they don't want to talk to me about, you know, what deals I'm doing. So my friends are like commercial brokers and, you know, people, creators, uh, uh, you know, uh, totally different profession. So I can you know get excited about what they do. The last thing I want to do is then, um, you know, be competitive over drinks. Yeah, no, I hear you because it could get competitive. I'm sure if you start talking about, I got this twenty million dollar one, and no, wait, that's mine. Hold on a second. Um, yeah, or Ryan, people go around your back. You know, they yeah. all, they all. And listen, I, 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 I'll tell you, like I'm. Don't lie, you've done I, it too. I, I'm, you know, we, <laughs> you, you eat what you kill. You got to go after it, right? Like for, for example, uh, went into this uh, a, a seller's apartment, I guess two months ago, um, and I had a buyer who had just bought an apartment at a building. Uh, on Broom Street in Soho, right? And I talked to him when he bought it, and this was last summer, about a next door apartment. I was like, dude, one day you should buy that. He's like, well, I'm not really ready. I don't know. It's really expensive. It's like, yeah, but you could buy it. You could put your suit together. It'd be really, really great. Um, 
So I walk into the seller's apartment months and months later. This was like in January. Um, uh, and this guy, he was about to buy an apartment with uh, uh, another agent. And I saw on his dining room table the floor plan for that same exact apartment. Right? <laughs> I was like, oh, where are you moving? And he's like, oh, I don't know. I'm making, I just made a bid on, on something and looking elsewhere, you know, kind of seeing. And so I didn't ask. I left it at that. I left the apartment, called my buyer who bought that other thing. And I was like, you need to buy the apartment next door right away. It's like, what, what are you talking about? I'm like, I was just with a guy who I'm pretty sure is going to buy it out from under you. He's like, mm. but I don't even really want it. I'm like, yeah, but you need it. You need to buy it. <laughs> and so I'm talking to my seller um, who now knows this. Uh, his name is Alex. Uh, you know, over the next couple of days. And he's like, God damn it, man. Someone, someone, I think like the neighbor and the building I'm interested in is like outbidding me all of a, like all of a sudden on the apartment I want. I'm like, that's crazy. That's nuts that that's happening. Um, he went and bought another apartment because he wanted to. And I got my guy to buy it for $7,150,000. Uh, and then I told him it was, it was us. And I told him why. He's like, well, good. I didn't want to spend that much money on that apartment anyway. But no. I got <laughs> so you did him a favor. Right? My deal. You shouldn't have left your floor plan out, man. What do you want from good me? Good point. It's intel. It's intel. There's no, like, look, it's, it, you're not cheating. You're not trying, right? That's what they say. Again, remember, there's a Q&A, um, a, a, a dialogue right up top. If you want to uh, click on and ask Ryan a question, we'll get to that in just a little bit. I already see a few of them coming in. Um, you and before we go to you know some more in-depth questions about New York's current real estate market, which I'm sure a lot of people are really interested in, million-dollar listing. I mean, we know how it happened. You you go for a tryout, and if you read the story in the book, it's compelling because you. I mean, talk about faking it to make it. Like you faked it. I drive a Range Rover. I get picked up in black cars, and you know all these twenty million-dollar listing is in my hand. Like, wait, I gotta go find a twenty million-dollar listing. <laughs> like all of these things, they happen. You you get the show, you book it, and it turns you into a star, right? When that change happened. We talked about your first sale where you moved to, you know, this $2.1 million sale. When that change happened, where you become um, a TV star, which is different than being an, like a business star, how yeah. did that affect your business? How did it affect you most importantly? Well, I'll, I'll say, um, and to clarify a little bit, you know, there's a, there's a fine line between faking it till you make it. Mm -hmm. And uh, what I like to say is, uh, assume the role before you are the role, right? Be the role before you are the role um, uh, and project yourself the same way I did with my Chinese buyer, Jun Chen, um, project yourself into the future and start being that person now. So when I was auditioning for Million Dollar Listing, you know, they were, I, I walked into a room and I was up against 3000 real estate agents in the city. Wow. Okay. There are, there are 80,000 of us here. Is incredibly competitive, uh, but I knew that if I could get on a show about selling real estate that was an international network, like I would never be able to afford that advertising. And the more people who knew what I sold, the better. And I could use it. And I, I'm always thinking about which how how can I squeeze that lemon. Um, and so when they asked me why I was there at the audition, I didn't tell them because I think this will be good for my business. Or well, I've only been in the business for two years, and I saw the casting call. Um, uh, I said because I'm the greatest real estate broker in the history of the world straight face because I, I honestly, you know, I didn't have the experience yet, but I, I believed that I would be the greatest salesperson ever. I knew that one day I would sell more than anyone else. 
hadn't done it yet, but I would. And so, you know, I knew the show was also going to take like a year to film. It would come out in two years from then. So I wanted to project myself into the person that people would actually watch, not the guy today who is trying to rent a studio apartment to three girls named Jessica. So, um, uh, you know, I positioned myself that way and, and it worked and I got cast on the show and the exposure was weird at first uh, because no one called. You know, I was waiting for the phone to ring off the hook, like, oh, I saw you lad. You're that real estate. Can you sell my this? Can you help me buy this? No one called. Um, because apparently when you watch TV, you don't pick up the phone and call the guy on TV. Um, uh, you know, I didn't think, you don't, you don't really think about it that way. <laughs> yeah. But it took, and so it took a couple years, right? And those first couple years were all about me promoting myself, using the show as a way to get in the door, right? Open the door because I was so new and so fresh. And I would just talk to sellers who had, you know, overpriced apartments and say, hey, I know you're interviewing a lot of agents. Um, I can put your apartment on TV to 25 million people and my commission is the exact same. And it would work. That's a pretty good seller point. That's a pretty good seller point. Yeah. It would work. You know, the more eyeballs on your property, the better chances you're going to get of getting a a higher number. Um, And then a couple of years later, people slowly started reaching out, right? That they had this, they wanted to do this. And... And then it just started ballooning from there um, uh, and really helped me build my career and helped me create a brand for myself. Like I would not be here if it weren't for Million Dollar Listing New York, like without, yeah. without fail. Yeah, no, and I believe that everybody should try to establish a brand. It's who you are. It's how you'll be identified. Your name means something, but how they remember you brand-wise means a lot. By the way, yeah. all of those stories are in Ryan's book, Big Money Energy. Check it out because um, it, the stories are really interesting and you tell them in an interesting way. An interesting way. I'm going to bring in some of these questions that we're getting in the Q&A section here. And this one is really interesting. I've been out of the city now for uh, eight years, nine years. Um, and I live in New Jersey now, but I lived a decade plus on the Upper East Side of Manhattan, and I could see it then. It was it was climbing, it was climbing, it's climbing, and then the correction happened in 09, and we know what that did, but it wasn't for long. But th- uh, this question is pertinent because I feel like this COVID pandemic is different. Uh, sure. This is a question from Ryan. He says, what do you foresee for the New York City real estate market for the next couple of years post-COVID? Is it a good time for young professionals who have been renting to potentially look into buying? Great question. Um, we are currently in and will soon come out of the greatest buyer's market. Uh, so meaning the market's very soft, mm-hmm. uh, that New York city has seen in 20 years. Um, uh, you know, from crisis comes opportunity, right? I'll say the bottom of the market was probably last summer, uh, more than anything, right. Or last spring, anyone who had the, the courage to pull the trigger on an apartment last May, stole that (laughs) property like the deals we did in may locked up quarantined stock market down ten thousand points we're all gonna die like if you could get a seller to sell to you you were stealing uh now you can get a good deal um but you're not gonna steal something interest rates are incredibly low you have to remember that you live in your monthly payments so if you're renting you're just paying someone else's mortgage Mm -hmm. Um, uh, uh, when you're owning, you're paying your own, right. And building equity uh, and actually owning something. You can do whatever you want to the apartment or to the house. Um, and as the next couple months go on, New York city is going to crawl out of the soft market incredibly fast. Remember that the market, uh, in New York was crushed after nine 11. Um, 
and it came back less than eight months later. You're talking about the stock market. No, no, the, the real estate the market. real estate market. Are they are they tied? By the way, they they no no. Unfortunately, they're not. The stock market is is really really high. This the this the real estate market is really low. They they typically go like this because when the people are nervous about their investments, right, in the stock market equities, they want to go into something tangible. So mm. they'll pull out and they'll go into yeah. real estate. So real gotcha. estate will go up. So it's inversely, um, inversely yeah, related. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when the stock market's really high, there's a fear of missing out. So people don't want to sell right now. They're like, 31,000 points. I'm buying Bitcoin. Why would I buy an apartment? <laughs> um, uh, but I'll tell you, same after 2008, right? Anyone who bought in 2009, oh, man, like they stole, stole properties, right? And then a lot of those people have doubled their money in 2014, 15, 16. So anyone who buys now this year, in a couple of years, you're going to look back and you're going to be that person at dinner because we'll be allowed to have dinners again. Um, uh, who's going to say, yeah, I, listen, I bought during COVID. I got a good deal. Right? That's what you're going to say. Yeah. Uh, so it's a great time to to purchase in New York City. The rest yeah. of the country is a totally different story. I've, well, never so, seen so. a market, I've never seen a market as hot as the rest of the country. We have a, a large sales course and I talk to agents all over the world um, and they have nothing to sell their buyers. Like I've seen images of houses hitting the market and hours later, there's a line of cars of people trying to get in. You don't even know where to price houses. I sold a house last week. It's the second most expensive home sold in the United States history for $132 million in Palm Beach. <laughs> we were the highest bidder. Wow. Other, there was, I, I, and we paid cash. Like it's just, it's crazy, the real estate market, um, because it's real, right? It's yeah. real. You can see what you're putting your money into. And I think there's a lot of froth out there. People don't understand what the stock market is artificially um, um, high. There's a massive amount of cheap money that's just being poured into the economy for people to you know, hopefully spend it. But what do they do? They just they invest it to hopefully make money on top of that money. Yeah. Um, uh, so well, if you can buy now, buy now. Let me ask you as a follow to this, do you think the the demographic of Manhattan in particular, because this is what we're, we're, it's where you live and it's, it's closest to me, metropolis, uh, metropolis, uh, metropolis is closest yeah. to me as New York. Is it is the demographic going to get significantly younger? Is it going to is it going to change um, significantly, do you think? Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, but, but I think that happens pretty consistently. Um, the demographics always just sort of change over as people get older, as they have, they have babies and the babies move out. Like they don't want to be in New York city forever. Yeah, right. They go it's, to Palm beach. <laughs> yeah. They go to Palm beach. They go to different places. I mean, listen, like I, I'm, you, you know, you're in New Jersey. I'm in the city now. Like it is gross outside, you know, <laughs> but also it's snowing in Texas. So I don't know where to go anymore. Um, uh, you know, you got to go to, I have no idea. I don't know. Um, but yes, listen, it's, Anytime the market gets soft, uh, it presents opportunity for people who otherwise might, might not have been able to afford to buy here. Yeah. Right? If you can get 20 to 30% off pricing from two years ago, all of a sudden someone might say, oh, well, I didn't think I could afford to live in New York, but I'll get married and buy here. That's cool. I, maybe I'll make some money on my investment. That sounds pretty great. Yeah, no, it does make a lot of sense. Let's get this one from Vanessa Edwards L. Says, hey, Ryan, um, how do you enhance your conversations? I know this is so important to what you do for a living on a daily basis and get through awkward silences with clients that are not as engaging or the chemistry just isn't there. Good question. 
that happens to me a lot. Um, and was one of the first things I had to really, really learn how to get around. Um, and it was really uncomfortable for me because I felt like I had to talk about myself, uh, which is weird, right? Um, uh, but you really, really don't. So the way I get around those situations is I go back and forth, okay, on asking them a question about life, about anything, to try to get them talking. Because people really do like to talk, even if they don't open up their mouth first. They'd love to hear the sound of their own voice, right? We're all kind of babies, right? Mm -hmm. We like hearing ourselves cry. <laughs> and it just, it's soothing, right? It's not like you hear it, the reverberations in your throat. It's, it's, it makes people feel good. People make decisions to spend money when they're talking more than when they're not talking. Um, uh, so I try to get people talking as much as I can. And if the question then dies, I go back to then talking about a fact, right? So when I'm with people, if they're clients, like I said, I try to be as prepared as possible, just like Tiki was before his games, and really, really know where we're going, what we're talking about, what the properties are, what I can know, some interesting facts about New York City, so I can always just kind of go back to that grab bag of facts and have like a, a did you know moment, right? <laughs> did you know this? Did you know that? Um, uh, even what was that? I was with someone today and they left me hanging. Um, oh, and we were talking about like social media and the influence social media has had on the real estate market, uh, sorry, real estate business and how we really sell through social now and we sell through content creation, um, uh, which is totally wild. And it shows me hanging. I was like, and also, did you know that YouTube, when it was first created, was a video dating site? <laughs> I did not you know, know that? that. I did not know that at all. <laughs> YouTube's first iteration was a video dating site. And now look what it is. Now it's yeah. the second most trafficked website in the world. So with the biggest search and so on and so forth. Um, and then we started talking about her dating life. It was the whole thing. So, um, you know, question, fact, question, fact. Just remember that. Yeah, question, fact, and then, hey, what are you doing this evening? Um, do you, did you ever, this is from Julia Halpin, did you ever feel like you messed up? Um, and what did you do about it? Like you said the wrong thing and may have sabotaged a deal or potentially a relationship. How do you do that? What do you, how do you mitigate it? Yeah, 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 all the time. Um, you, you, early on in my career, I would try to fix it, right? I try to like cover my tracks. Um, and it was oftentimes in situations, you know, like saying, oh yes, no, the building will totally allow you to renovate all year round. Why would they not? And then we make an offer, we go through and then I find out, shit, the building only has summer renovation rules. Like, <sighs> I should have asked. Or, um, uh, you know, you go to, to Palm Beach, right? It's like, hey, is this, this is a good place to buy? Yeah, absolutely. And you find out the house is in the, the flight path for the airport and the airplanes fly right over the house and dump oil into their pool. Like, ah, had I just done my homework? Um, so I say things all the time that are mistakes uh, and things that could potentially sabotage deals. But I've learned two things. One, uh, over time, the best thing to do is to own your mistakes as quickly as physically possible. Mm -hmm. Pick up the phone, shoot a quick email and say, hey, FYI, this morning I said this, I just double checked uh, and it's not true, here's the deal. Um, and that'll show them, one, you made a mistake, but two, if you make another mistake, you own them and you correct them and you don't let anyone make bad decisions, okay? So you're being honest and people respect and they trust honesty. Uh, the second 
is I've become much, much better over time at uh, the art of selective communication, right? There's a whole chapter, yeah. big, there's a whole yeah. chapter of big money energy about it. Um, is the most successful people know what to say, when to say it, and when not to say it. You know, there are deal points with clients that amateurs will just rattle off because they think that they're messengers, right? When we're not, right? We're all here to get a deal done. There are things that not every client needs to know. The same way, not every patient needs to know everything from their doctor, right? There are ways that you deliver information and there are ways that you don't deliver information. Um, you know, we had a deal uh, in the, the Hamptons, uh, 2019, I sold the most expensive house in the Hamptons on the ocean in Bridgehampton for $40 million. Uh, and that deal almost died because of a blanket. The deal was, was fully furnished, right? It was delivered fully furnished. And when you're selling something for 40 or a hundred million dollars, you're not dealing with regular people. You're dealing with Titans. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I'm connecting two Kings. Um, uh, and they've got their Queens and, they're, they didn't get that way without being ruthless in some way, shape, or form. So they're, both sides are intense. So we agreed, $40 million, fully furnished, that's it. Send me a contract, I'll buy it. The seller came back to us. I was representing the buyer. The seller came back to us and said, hey, we just need to add a quick rider. Um, we forgot. We want uh, the TV in the second bedroom. Uh, I need that for my other house. The rug here and the blanket that was like on some couch or something. Um, and I went back quickly and said, whoa, 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 listen, I know my buyer. <laughs> if I go to my buyer right now and I say, hey, we're keeping three things, okay? He's going to say, at a pure principle, because this is the way that these clients work, no problem. They'll keep their TV and their stupid blankie. I'll keep my $40 million, <laughs> right? Because we had a deal. Yeah. Totally furnished. He had never even really seen the house. He didn't even know there was a TV in the other bedroom. He didn't even know there was a stupid blanket. But it was the principle. So I think a less experienced agent would have taken that information to the client and said, oh, it's not a big deal. Totally not a big deal. Like, let's see, yeah, what, what do you want to do? And then the deal would very, 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 much higher chances of the deal dying. Um, uh, so I didn't do that. I went back to the seller and I said, listen, here's what's going to happen. If I present this information, he's going to walk from the deal. Seller got so angry. No, he's not. Do your do. do you're a fiduciary. Bah, 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 bah. It's just a fire. Like, I'm telling you right now. Do you dare me to do this? I know my guy. I know how these people think. He will walk from the deal because you are now nickel and diming. And what it means to come back to us now asking for stupid shit like this means that at closing, you're going to ask for four more things. Mm. And then right then you're going to ask for another. And what you're doing is showing us that you have a disease. Okay. So what do you want to do? They yelled and yelled. So they came back and said, fine, keep the TV, keep the rug, but we want our blanket. It's a family <laughs> heirloom. I thought, fucking, you can keep, I, no, no, <laughs> blanket stay, okay? Blanket stays. And I had to fight for it. And I never told my client to this day, never, he still doesn't know. And uh, they ended up leaving the blanket and they were really, really unhappy about it. But I'm sure they were happy to get their $40 million. Buy a new one. Yeah. And listen, I could have bought another black. I could have not told him. But I, I, I try to lead my business in my life with, with honesty and integrity. And that just didn't feel right. And other brokers would do that. And so it's a very long answer to your simple yeah. question. It's a good, it's uh, a good story, though. That's, wanna, see, that's, the, that's the actor in you. You can tell great stories. When I enjoy listening of, to them. The art of selective communication is, is key.
Yeah. I hear you. That's a good one. Selective communication. Uh, I want to thank again, our sponsor Insperity. I know they have a lot of folks on this call, so we appreciate you being a part of our Thusio events for so long. Um, this is a pertinent, pertinent one, I believe. It's from Bill White because of the virtual world we find ourselves in right now. This is how we're actually communicating. You know, Two years ago, we'd be sitting uh, at, a, at, a, at a, an establishment having a drink together right next to each other, talking to a live audience. But how has and will virtualization across multiple industries affect where people live and buy homes? I think it's changed the world forever. Um, I think it'll make the world more efficient. Uh, unfortunately, I think it'll remove a lot of the personality out of things that used to be very personable. But at the same time, so did email, right? Like, can we imagine life without email? No. Like, email is my whole life. Like, can you imagine yeah. life without texting, right? Or TV, you know, it's, it's anytime there is some sort of fast track in technology that makes things easier for us, what it really means is it removes the need for people in that position. like. You know, people used to probably have a good old chat with their blacksmith. Like, <laughs> you don't, you don't do or their cobbler. Like you don't do that anymore. Um, and so I think that the virtual nature of being able to shop for homes globally um, will change the way people buy and invest in real estate. Like dude, we're, I'm doing deals right now. You know, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're negotiating an offer right now. That's right around $20 million. My clients never even seen it in person, all virtual because everything can be done so crisp and clean. You know, the power of FaceTime. That deal that we did for 40 million with him, um, if you go on my YouTube channel and you go back to 2019, there's, the, I think the title of the video is selling a $40 million mansion over FaceTime. <laughs> because he had no time to get to the Hamptons. He wanted something. I got on a helicopter, I flew out there, and I FaceTimed him for every showing. I just, because New York is a soft market and on everyone's, TV, you know, especially last year, because this is where the bodies are. This is the epicenter of the coronavirus pandemic. Um, we got a, a one of our one of our agents in our in our course in Australia had a buyer um, who wanted to invest in New York because he knew he could get a good deal, and we sold him a place for five point two million dollars over WhatsApp video chat. Yeah. Um, so I, that deal would not have happened if it were not for COVID, because it would have felt weird. Yeah. Right? Like. Video always, you know, like doing these things, this is all because, ah, oh, well, we couldn't make it together in person. So let's get on a video chat. Now it'll be, you know, option A or option B. And they're both pretty equal. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see where we are, honestly, in like nine years, like 2030, what are our lives going to be like? Is it going to be 50-50 virtual in person just out of pure efficiency? Is it, am I going to be doing deals in Rome because I can do it? <laughs> on my screen. Like, I don't, I don't know. I'm excited yeah. for it. Like who knows? Yeah. I know we are. I mean, this is, this is a forever part of our offering. Now we never did virtual events until we had to, and now we yeah. do a bunch a day. Uh, and it's amazing. This one's from Ethan Shibatani who's asked, uh, Ryan, now that you are the brand that's in quotes and the client wants to work directly with you, how do you manage delegating your team and the projects that you're working on yourself? Um, I always bring uh, one of my agents with me on a listing pitch or on that first call with the buyer. And I always explain and I'm upfront with those expectations. Um, when you get me, you get my army. And that's it. You get my army. Uh, this is Maggie, where she's going to be sending you over options. Uh, I'm here. 
maybe I'll see you at that showing. Uh, maybe Maggie will. And everyone who works for me knows that when they speak to our clients, they never say I or me. They say we and us. They mm. always say Ryan and I. I just spoke to Ryan. Ryan and I were discussing, and this is what we think. Um, uh, because it keeps the clients happy. Um, and when they need me to jump in, get on that call, do that meeting, hey, quickly send a text, they all know to have me do that. Um, so I'm as involved as I possibly can be, but there's a lot that I, I don't have to be involved in. But you set those expectations from the beginning. What I do not do, and I used to, and I learned the hard way, uh, is the bait and switch, where a client thinks they're going to get me, I'm the brand, I roll in, and then they never see me again. Mm -hmm. Brokers and salespeople who do that, those are the people I take business from because they set poor expectations and the clients just get, end up getting angry, even if it means nothing, even if like, even if they really don't care, it's that they feel gypped. Yeah. So I set those expectations nice and clear from the beginning. How do you build your team? And this is this one's from me. Like, how do you build your team? What are you looking for specifically when someone either sends you a resume or you're looking to expand? As I know you, you probably are now. Now the big space, the Tommy Hilfiger building that you're in now, down yeah. or, or at least will be in, in in short order. Like, how do you grow your team? What are you looking for specifically? Um, so we have agents, and then we have employees. So agents. Um, uh, what I, I, what I look for are what I call my three E's. So energy, enthusiasm, and empathy. <laughs> the fourth E is education. Like I want them to be educated, be able to talk, write all that no stuff. But I, I can teach that I can teach anyone how to sell. I can teach anybody, you know, the market, I can teach all that stuff. So energy, um, you've got to be able to wake up energized and go to bed energized. The business is way too hard. You've got to be a self-starter. You've got to be an entrepreneur. And I got to be able to feel that energy when you walk in the room. Because that's really what I'm selling. Like yeah. I'm not selling, you know, 52 Dwayne Street. I'm selling my energy for 52 Dwayne. I'm getting you excited about the deal, about the brick, whatever it might be. Um, enthusiasm is completely different, right? Energy is, is, your, is your presentation, okay? That's, 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 that's what you bring to the table. Enthusiasm is important because I need you to be able to be excited with our clients and excited with your clients, right? You need to be able to have like vocal inflection. So I ask everybody, um, tell me about the best day of your life. And if they say the day my daughter was born, <laughs> that's a tough one for me um, because you're going to have a hard time when someone says, you know, Tiki, like, what do you think? And you're like, I think this is good. It, I, that doesn't work. You can't sell that way, right? You need to be excited. You need to have that enthusiasm. Um, and then empathy, almost more important, I need you to be able to be there for clients when things go the wrong way. So a deal dies, contract falls through, they lose their job, they get outbid. So many, so many things happen that are really, really, really tough. Um, um, so many things happen that are really, really, really tough. I need them to, uh, you know, to be able to, and so I ask them, uh, what's the worst day of your life? All right. What is that worst day? Um, and if they tell me the day my dog died, again, that's not great. <laughs> I don't need them to go into like, personal situations or anything uncomfortable. I just need them to be able to connect with me and emote with me for a hot second so that I know that they can connect with, you know, Judy, when Judy didn't get the apartment she wanted and she can, you can understand. 
You can be there for her. I totally, totally get it. Here's what we're going to do. Here's our solution. Here's our strategy moving forward. Um, so that's what I look through when it comes to, uh, to agents. Yeah, no, and that's, and that's, it's a smart way to do it because it, it, it makes them part of the, like the family. I know you said it's, it's us and it's we, but it's interesting you say that because one of my favorite quotes ever comes from my brother's coach the year they won the Super Bowl down in Tampa. This was the first time Tampa won the Super Bowl. It was John yeah. Gruden. Now, who would now say, exactly, exactly. Two and oh, the Super Bowls. You're perfect. Um, but he would always say to his team, like today, Men, I need genuine enthusiasm. And if you don't got it, fucking fake it. Right. So even if you don't have it, you got to you got to fake it because you're selling. That's what sellers do. Um, and, you know, as I think about, yeah. you know, your future career um, and all this energy that it takes and the, the drive, like when does it become too much or can it become too much? Because I know in the book you talk about like be rich, like aim to be rich. But when is it too much? And, or is there a limit? I, I think you need to define what you think is going to make you happy and, uh, and be realistic about it, right? I'm a big believer in, kind of like I said earlier, about working for future you, okay? Like what I wake up every day and think about is Ryan 2030. Like what is my life going to be like in 2030? Because the last 10 years went by real fast. Right. I was renting apartments, the last thing I knew. And now I'm sitting here with my own company. Like what, what in the world is happening? So 2030 is going to be here before I know it. And that's the person I work for. So, you know, for anybody else, um, uh, you can sit there and say, well, I want to, I want to make a hundred million dollars. I want to make a million bucks, whatever that number is, be realistic and think about your life two years from now and write that down. Be specific. What are you wearing on this day in 2023? Okay, February 18th, it's 7.22 p.m. Eastern. Where are you? What are you doing? Who are you sitting with? You having dinner with a big client? Are you, did you just graduate, right? Are you with your new husband? I don't know, whatever works for you. And be specific and write it down and get a pen and paper the way we used to. And be as detailed as you can. That is now your vision board. That person is your boss because that's the person you're going to become if you put the work in. And you want that person's life to be happy because before you know it, dude, it's already March, 2021. Like yesterday was March, 2020. We were all sitting there watching the NBA get canceled and Tom Hanks get positive for COVID in Australia. Like that happened. That was like, where did the year go? You're right. You know, 2020 is going to be here before we know it. And if you're, if you don't plan, and if you don't have that vision for who you want to be in the future, as clear as day in your head, then you're just going to be busy, right? You're going to be like everybody else. Oh, so busy. So busy. Oh, I just never had time to get to it. It's just too busy, too busy, too busy, too busy. And life is going to pass you by. Yeah. Um, and so for me, enough is never really enough, you know, and I didn't come this far to only come this far. Um, you know, why not go get another one? Right. Why not win another one? You know, because eventually I'm not going to be able to. And at that point, life will have made that decision for me. Um, but until that happens, man, I'm going to work my ass off to try to do more.
Yeah, you know, an interesting thing, this is an aside to this in a sense, um, you know, you you wanted to be an actor, you came to New York, you were, you know, fighting through the adversity and the, I don't know, the castings and, you know, the off, off, off Broadway. I did those too, by the way. They're fun in those little basement like, yeah. theater that are surrounding the city that you have no idea are there until you actually go do one. Um, and And real estate wasn't really your passion. Like, how did it become your passion? Real estate is not my passion. Um, I'm a real estate broker because that's what I am uh, good at um, uh, now. My passion is selling. My passion is the deals, right? My passion is connecting people and solving a problem. Hmm. Um, uh, and much in the way that I like performing, like Million Dollar Listing allows me to perform. Um, uh, you know, it allowed, this business allows me to be creative. Right. Like we pitch entire I sell new development condos. Right. That's the biggest part of our business. Um, entire towers. Right. 400 apartments. Ryan, go sell them. All right. How am I going to do that? What's the story with that building? Why should people care? What's what's interesting there? What about what am I going to do? You know, we, we took over sales for a building in Brooklyn called Brooklyn Point building 720 feet high. It's the tallest residential building in Brooklyn. It has a rooftop pool that is going to be, once it's finished, uh, the tallest residential rooftop pool in the Western Hemisphere. Um, we had to launch sales in that building in November of this past year, 2020. Typically, I do an event, right? Bring 200 brokers, have a party, give giveaways, have a car, yeah, 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 you know, dress up, the whole thing. Um, I can't do that anymore. So I had to figure out what the hell, do, how do I get anyone to pay attention? So I created a teaser campaign where I said something big was coming and I blasted it out to our network and to the broker community um, for five days, put it all over social, emailed it out and let people know something's coming. And then I told them, I'm going to tell you what's coming on Instagram live at, on Thursday at noon or whatever time it was. Uh, tune in to find out. And so people, it started this chatter, it started people being like, what the, what is, what is he talk? What is this? What is this? What is happening? Um, and we did it live on the rooftop of that building. Um, the sun had just shown up after it had been raining and freezing. We filled the pool with water for a hot second, even though it wasn't even finished. And at, at Instagram live, I had a ballerina on the roof, um, nearly 800 feet in the air and a string orchestra playing Alicia Keys, um, and I introduced the building and sales with the backdrop of the city around. We had, you know, 20,000 people tune in uh, and we doubled traffic to the building after that. Um, that is like, that's my passion. How do I figure stuff out like that? But real estate, I, there, there's exposed brick behind me and some rafters and stuff. It's great. Like I don't walk into apartments and get super excited about crown moldings. Yeah. Like, I know what looks good because I know what will sell. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. What are some of the other uh, amenities that are, are coming up in some of these big buildings? Um, restaurants, you know, you talk about the pools. Like, what are the, what, are, what, are, what can we see in some of the new developments that are happening around New York City, but also, I guess, around the, the country? Because it's, it's a copycat league, just like it is in the, in the NFL. Yeah. <laughs> um, listen, there's, there's a push to efficiency. Apartments are getting smaller and smaller. There was a period where they got bigger and bigger, and now they are smaller and smaller. Um, and we will forever be stuck in that cycle. Um, uh, you know, what it was, you know, we were doing 2,000 square foot to 2,500 square foot, three bedrooms 10 years ago. 
now we're designing, you know, like three bedrooms. We're like, do you think we can fit three bedrooms, a kitchen, a living room and 1400 square feet? (laughs) Because we're trying to keep the gross dollar amount down. Yeah. You know, Um, which means that in the buildings, we're then creating massive amenity packages like Zoom rooms, right? Instead of just one huge open lounge, let's create 15 separate rooms that people can go in and work from all day long um, that are private, that are clean. You know, we're installing infrared scanners in the mail rooms that clean the mail before you touch it. Um, lots of little things like that that we are creating uh, in the buildings that we sell uh, in kind of the new normal. But I, I don't know. We'll see how long this stuff lasts. I think yeah. once once it's not on the news every day, it'll start to become out of sight, out of mind. Like I remember with Hurricane Sandy, right, in New York. All people talked about while the ground was still wet was I'm never living on the water ever again. Mm-hmm. Um, global warming is here. We're going to die just like the dinosaurs. And uh, we need generators on high floors. I'm never going to buy a ground floor. A year later, no more wetness. Okay. A few buildings were still totally destroyed. Yep. No more wetness. And people are walking around like, huh, how come this apartment still on the market? Oh, Sandy. Right. Yeah, well, they do a good deal. <laughs> like, <laughs> and so like, people freaked out, redesigned all buildings. And, and now the only thing you think about, honestly, more than anything, it always comes down to the money. Now it's just your flood insurance premium. Yeah. Because insurance companies have put everyone in the floodplains in different flood zones. So if you're in this flood zone, you pay a lot more versus this one and so on and so forth. Yeah, although there's a, the, the water is five miles away. Why are we in a flood zone? But I get it. All right, we're running up, we're running up against time here, uh, Ryan. But I want to ask you this last one. This is from Patrick uh, Ganjami. And he says, how do you see, foresee competing with the housers uh, type real estate companies or technology agencies that are starting to develop? Like when your competition is no longer that guy uh, and it's a, it's, a, it's a digital entity, how, do you, how are you going to compete against that? E-Trade, Fidelity, none of these companies have replaced Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, UPS, UBS, JP Morgan. Um, when you're dealing with people, there's a lot that computers cannot do. There's a lot that computers can do. And so we use all these websites and all these companies as, uh, uh, you know, as information providers for us, right? It's, it's really helped us. I do way more deals now than I ever did before because of kind of these competitors. Um, uh, but Alexa isn't going to sit with you at 11 p.m. with a glass of wine as you contemplate selling the house that you raised your family in that your husband just left you from, right? That deal doesn't get done with Siri, right? That deal gets done because she needs to move on and she needs me or you or someone else to sit there with her with another glass of red wine and say, let's get the fuck out of here. Let's get you into that new place. Let's go. Um, And those transactions, which are most transactions, right, that need that human touch cannot be done with digital competitors. Um, uh, Will parts of our business become outdated? Like lead generation source, all that stuff. Yeah, for sure. And uh, great. It's just going to make our business more efficient. But until Bezos and Musk get together and figure out how a house can sell itself to another house. There will always be the need for people to be in the middle of these transactions because I don't, I don't broker houses, right? The house is my widget. 
I, I connect a buyer to a seller and I'm connecting and I'm brokering personalities. Is This is the most human business that you can get. Um, uh, dealing with the egos, the attitudes, the feelings, the emotions, the thoughts, it's like everything. And I gotta keep the calm right there down the middle. Well, that's why you do it so well. Ryan Turan, thank you so much for joining us. The book is Big Money Energy. Check it out. Lots of good stories and lots of good info in here. I want to thank all of you for joining us and Insperity for being our sponsor, as you all have been for so many years with us here at Thuzio. Thank you all. Have a fantastic evening. Uh, cheers. Uh, we'll see you at the next one. Thank you, Ryan. Thanks, man. Thanks for listening to the Thuzio Live and Unfiltered podcast with our guest, Ryan Serhant. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like information on our live events or our virtual memberships, visit Thuzio.com. That's T-H-U-Z-I-O.com. And be sure to follow us on social media at Thuzio.